0: Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual and musically gifted community <laughs> dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We're very glad you're here. I extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us this morning. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. So it is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Would you please say with me the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our call to worship is from the poet Hafiz. Cloak yourself in a thousand ways. Still shall I know you, my beloved. Veil yourself with every enchantment, and yet I shall feel you, presence most dear, close, and intimate. I shall salute you in the springing of cypresses and in the sheets of lakes, the laughter of fountains. I shall surely see you in tumbling clouds, in brightly embroidered meadows o oh, beloved presence more beautiful than all the stars together i trace your face in ivy that climbs in clusters of grapes in morning flaming the mountains in the clear arch of sky you gladden the whole earth and make every heart great you are the breathing of the world When people ask, what holds you all together when you have people with roots and practices in all the major world religions, and in neo-paganism, and in staunch atheism, one of the things that holds us together is singing. (laughs) Another thing that holds this congregation together is its mission. We wrote it ourselves, we wrote it on the wall, and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls transform lives, and do justice. The reading this morning is from uh, my latest book called Broken Buddha, and it's the title Story. Broken Buddha is the title of a photograph in my online art collection. It shows the lap of a painted statue. One graceful hand has broken off and is resting on the sole of an upturned foot. I'm trying to figure out why I'm so drawn to this image, the enlightened one, as imperfect, cracked, and chipped. Maybe that's how my enlightenment feels. It's just not all that shiny anymore. A piece or two might have gotten knocked off. I don't know why it makes me remember a woman. We'll call her Julie Gates, who was a pillar of my husband's Presbyterian church. Tall, slender, righteous, well put together in pumps and pearls. Julie was a community saint and icon who had founded Senior Communications, connecting the elderly all over town. Whenever her name was mentioned, someone would breathe out reverently, Oh, she's wonderful. And everyone around would nod with downcast eyes and soft faces. She and her husband were to leave that church within a year because it wasn't Christian enough. How are you enjoying being a mother? She asked me. We had two small boys, one maybe five years old and one still a toddler. My husband, the minister, was gone a lot and I was juggling a therapy practice, mothering, and being a writer. I love it, I said. I mean, I'm tired of changing diapers, but the rest is great. It's the kind of thing parents say to one another to make the connection of telling the truth about one's life. Most people would touch your arm with a warm smile full of understanding and your hearts would beat together for a moment Leaving both of you strengthened. She did not touch my arm. She fixed me with an intense gaze and said, I loved changing diapers. I loved every minute of raising my children. Every minute. My heart sank. I don't know what her heart was doing. I couldn't feel her heart anywhere. (laughs) There's nothing crueler than suggesting to a young mother that she's not a good one. She quietly suspects that's true every single day of her life. I say my heart sank, but that is only half the truth. It sank into a fighting stance with both hands raised. This particularly crappy combination of sweetness and meanness had been coming at me from church people since I was eight years old. There was a line to toe. There was a circle of approved thoughts and behaviors within which to stay if you were to be a member of the group in good standing. If it looked as though you were about to stray, the enforcers descended with that exact tone. Oh, you don't think that, they would say with a tinkling laugh. A spiritual person was supposed to be victorious, triumphant in the conquering of life's difficulties, praising God in the midst of any circumstance, grateful for whatever came, peaceful in the heart always. If you didn't feel it, by God, you should just act as if you did, or it would spook all the other horses in the pasture. (laughs) The broken Buddha says, I don't have to be scared of being the way I am. I've met some non-evangelicals with that same cruel but somehow comfortable worldview— As a practicing therapist, I met a lot of people who trusted in therapy. They would speak as if you could get help for any situation and handle it with your head high, your intellect clear, and your feelings in good order. If you get healthy enough, you're supposed to be able to go through even a nasty divorce with peace in your heart. If something disturbs you, you should get help. The broken Buddha tells me that sometimes agony is appropriate. The part of me I'm least proud of imagines that this Buddha's hand detached when he reached out to someone who said something on the order of everything happens the way it should and slapped that person silly. (laughs) In a dream workshop I was leading, an older woman was sharing her grief at having lost her son in his 20s to melanoma. They hadn't seen it because it was under his hair. A woman across the table tilted her head and spoke in that breathy voice that some people feel makes them sound more spiritual. Her eyes were wide, too, and she didn't blink. Have you ever thought about why he might have wanted to draw that suffering to his life? Why you might have wanted to draw it into yours? The broken Buddha tells me that life is not neat. Life is gorgeous and horrific, and beyond understanding. And we may create certain situations and draw certain things, but other suffering strikes like a tiger from the tall grass, snatching us from one life into another without cause or warning. I meditate on the broken hand of the Buddha, and it comforts me. It tells me that the spiritual moves in and through cracks and gaps, that it is wild and doesn't make sense. It sits with you, even through something that can't be fixed by intelligence or kindness, or love. The broken Buddha says, he knows how I feel. Our hearts beat together for a time, and we are both strengthened. Now is our time of meditation, so would you join me in an attitude of meditation and prayer? I'm going to read a meditation on motherhood by my colleague Maureen Kiloran. Let us tell the stories of mothers, stories that could be true. Let us tell of warm mothers, soft and round, likely to be found with flour on their nose and always ready to pour you a glass of milk to go with the cookies on your plate. Let us tell of mothers who are like bubbles of champagne, They surprise your senses, leave you giggly, but when you least expect it, they erupt with an unexpected pop. Stories that could be true. Then there are grouchy mothers, stressed mothers, exhausted mothers, faces lined with worry and spirits tired and gray. Other mothers are wise and reliable, not prone to many words or to a lot of noise, but you know that when you need them, they'll be there. Let us tell of fierce mothers, the ones who will love you even when you're wrong. Let us tell also of absent mothers, whose memory shimmers at the edge of your heart. Let us tell of distant mothers, cruel mothers, loving mothers, giving mothers. There are walkaway mothers, save the world mothers, too busy mothers. Mothers, you cry because you lost them. Mothers who make you cry because you can't. May we hold in our hearts the mothers we have known, those who have loved us and those who tried. May we forgive the mothers who didn't get it right and try to release the knots of disappointment, anger, grief, pain. May we hold in our hearts the truth that mothering, nurturing... Is a task that belongs to us all. However old or young you are, whatever your gender, may you make extra room for nurturing in your life. May you say something real to a harried store clerk, give a co worker a genuine compliment, take time to listen deeply to a friend. In our shared silence, may we remember and reflect and create anew the stories of love and nurture from this point forward stories that can be true let us enter into silence together so I worked for about 15 years as a therapist and I heard a lot of people talk about feeling like a failure and when we they explored that feeling. It seemed like, for some people, everything less than complete world domination in their field was a failure. I had a student who would tell me she'd failed tests, and then finally I learned to say, "What grade did you get?" And she's like, "B plus." And a lot of people felt like they disappointed their parents. And I would ask, what did your parents want from you? And they would say, oh, they just pretty much wanted me to be perfect, I guess. Many of us are more critical of ourselves than anyone outside ourselves could be. We've got a real mean voice in there that says, stupid, clumsy, idiot, Really, if we talk to children the way we talk to ourselves, we'd get reported. And our mistakes just glare at us, some of us, when we survey our lives. Things we've said that we shouldn't have said, things we should have said that we didn't say, things we forgot to think about, damage we've done, businesses we've tried that didn't make it, relationships that didn't last, times when you yelled at your children when you'd promised yourself you would never do that again. Speaking of Mother's Day, (laughs) parenthood is a minefield of mistakes. My oldest son, when he was about 18 months old, had a squeal that could clear a whole restaurant. And that was just when he was happy. (laughs) And he liked to smack. And I remember one tired afternoon, he was sitting in a chair and I was sitting on the floor and he was squealing right in my ear. And I, I turned around and smacked his leg and I said, I screamed, we do not scream and we do not hit. <laughs> uh. <laughs> mother guilt is the worst. As you look around, you imagine every other mother in the world is better than you are. You try to teach good values and manners and conversational skills. And you wonder sometimes if your kids are already damaged by something you did while you were building them inside your body. Or by something that they're doing that you should have known about even though they did everything in their might to keep it from you. (laughs) And they were only keeping it from you for your own protection and peace of mind. They just knew you'd worry. So I'll tell you how to be a good mother and a father. It's really easy. Understand that they're watching what you do more than they're listening to what you say. So to be the person you would like them to be. Because they're going to turn out pretty much like you, which makes most parents go, oh, no. Heal yourself. Ask what you'd want them to do in the situation you're in, and then do that, because that's what they'll learn. Back to my therapy office. I had a cartoon on the wall, and I'm not a big cartoon person, but this one really spoke to me, and it was Glinda, the good witch of the north, in her psychiatrist's office. And she's lying there on the couch with her little crown, and she's saying, Oh, it's just gotten to be too much. Somebody wants a heart, and somebody else wants a brain, and it's just, I can't. And underneath the caption says, Glinda learning to be the good enough witch. (laughs) Some of us will really go to any lengths to avoid making a mistake, because making a mistake feels like it might be death on the other side. We just hate making mistakes. And... Hating making mistakes can keep you from trying new things. And most people who have that problem the worst are first-born kids and only kids. And some of us grew up with uh, people who said things like, I am never wrong, <laughs> except that one time back in 93 when I thought I was wrong, but I wasn't. My family joked that on my granddaddy's headstone, it would be written, often in error, never in doubt. <laughs> Sometimes people do the same wrong things over and over again, even though they know it's not going to work out this time like it didn't work out the last three times, but the situation that your mistakes get you into feel familiar and you can handle them. Um, making new mistakes is too scary. The world's best wisdom says that making mistakes is good, Are good, that is, making mistakes is good. Sorry about my syntax, it's the first service. (laughs) They're necessary to growth. Thomas Edison said, I haven't failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that don't work. (laughs) Danish Nobel Prize winner Niels Bohr said, an expert is a person who has made all the mistakes that can be made in a very narrow field. The drive to avoid mistakes can lead to a certain kind of success. For example, did you know that 21 out of the first 23 NASA astronauts were first borns? If you're scared of making mistakes, you can be an astronaut. Because you just, all you have to do is do everything perfectly. And be really healthy. And have good eyesight. This is not the case for inventors. Inventors are not all firstborn children. Mostly, inventors are people who are okay with making mistakes, okay with trying new things, okay with just punting. You know, um, the most important scientific example is Toll House Cookies. which were made when the woman who ran the Toll House Inn ran out of uh, baking chocolate. And she thought, well, I'll just cut up some regular chocolate and stick it in the cookies, and it'll melt and make chocolate chip coo- chocolate cookies. But it didn't. It made chocolate chip cookies, which then took over the world. <laughs> uh, a scientist in England was working with things to kill bacteria, and he threw away some Petri dishes that had gotten... Uh, corrupted by something coming in through the window. And then he found that one of the things he had thrown away, that all the bacteria around that thing that came through the window were dying. And that's how he discovered penicillin. So, I mean, there are lots of potato chips, another very important scientific discovery. (laughs) A guy in the dining room was complaining that his uh, potatoes weren't sliced thinly enough And the chef sliced them even more thinly, and then the guy still sent them back. So finally the chef just got mad and sliced them paper thin and then fried them till they were crisp. They were like, here, are that thin enough for you? And the guy was like, these are delicious. (laughs) And then potato chips took over the world. I remember when my firstborn and I were working on this little puzzle for school, and it, you've seen it before, it's the little um, square made out of nine dots, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, and you're supposed to connect all the dots with, with um, no curves and one line without taking your uh, pencil off the paper, and man, we were breaking our brains about it, you know, trying to, oh, no, that didn't work, no, that one's left out. The younger son comes over and he looks at it and he goes, here, give me the pencil. And he goes, and shockingly, his line went way above the square and then came back down to connect all the dots. We had been making ourselves the rule that you had to stay within the square of dots, but that wasn't one of the rules. But he, you know, second born, literally thought outside the box. Now he's a musician. Thank you so much. This congregation is living out our mission vigorously. We're trying to figure out whether to be a sanctuary church, part of our main part of our mission, or just a church that does sanctuary sometimes, or whether to be a church that goes with refugees to their appointments so that they never have to get to the place of leaving their houses and their families in order to come into sanctuary. We're trying to figure it out. And we might make a mistake. In which case, we'd have to say, hmm, we made a mistake. Let's go try something else. We're not going to die if we make a mistake. You're not irresponsible if you make a mistake using all the information you have at hand. We, in this sanctuary business, we're way out on the forefront, and so nobody else is doing it, so nobody knows how to do it, and we're just trying to figure it out as we go along. We did pretty well with the first one, but we're not idiots if we make a mistake. We're just finding different ways that don't work. We're moving forward with a building expansion and renovation. We're using our best expertise that we know how to use. We raise money at the top edge of the range of how congregations can raise money. We raised five times our annual giving. You had a great success with that. And we still, it's still a constrained budget for doing what we want to do. So we're working with the architects to try to get as much of our dream as we can pay for. Will we spend all the money perfectly? We're going to try. Are we going to make a mistake? You bet. Really. And it's going to be okay. Because we'll say, Oh, cuss. (laughs) We made a mistake. Let's try to make it right. So what do you do when you make a mistake? Okay. You see that you made a mistake. You see what part of it was your responsibility. No excuses. Sometimes all of it's your responsibility. Sometimes all of it's not. But it's good to err on the side of taking more responsibility than you need to. Because you're the only one you can control or change. Then you say you're Sorry then you try to learn and, and you try to heal that part of yourself that led to the mistake. And you try to make amends. You say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Sometimes we have to say that to ourselves. Because sometimes we do ourselves the worst damage, right? So you just put your hand on your own heart and you say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Yelling and scolding hardly ever works. So the beauty of working on yourself is that you can be authentic and fewer hurtful things will come out. And when you do have a hurtful thing that comes out, you go... I'm sorry, forgive me, thank you, I love you. So go ahead and mix with folks you don't know what to say to, people who might be from a different culture than you or people who might be of a different sexual orientation, gender identification, people you're kind of uncomfortable with. You're going to make mistakes, say the wrong thing. Then you go, I'm sorry. Don't avoid doing new things or making new friends. And if I've made mistakes with y'all, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Will you say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice? Thank you. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.